Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I am uh, thankful to be up here. It's a privilege and an honor for me to be able to tell you about the Word of God today and talk to you about what God has spoken to me this week. And it's been an awesome week. It's been Christmas week. This is the end, the last weekend before the new year. And we uh, just celebrated Christmas and praise be to God. It's uh, Merry Christmas to all those who weren't able to listen to my Christmas Day service. It's always a special time for me. I hope everybody had a wonderful time with family and friends and those in my home and those that are listening to me all over the world. I hope you guys enjoyed your Christmas time as well too. Christmas is my favorite time of the year because I get to I get to be reminded of the great cost that it costs God to come down and onto this earth in in you know the body of a person, you know, the, the in human flesh. And you know that just think about it, you know, like we talked about on Christmas day. You know, God, the maker of all things, came down and humbled himself and wrapped himself in your skin and my skin and and was able to feel the things that you feel and, you know, be able to have the thoughts that you have. And he just knew, now he knows, the Bible says, how to sympathize with us because he did that. And if he would have never done that, he would have never known how to sympathize with us because he sits enthroned in his glory in heaven. But thanks be to God, you know, that he came down and that he loves us so much and he came down and he... He wrapped himself in flesh and then died for our sins at the end of his life and made a sacrifice for us so we could have eternal life with him. So it's always my most favorite time of the year because of those things. So anyway, if you would like to join me in a word of prayer, we can get moving on this week's message. I'll give you the title after I give my opening thoughts and after my prayers. So if you want to join me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. Thank you so much for what you have done for us and what you will continue to do for us, Lord. For, Lord, in a relationship and the way you take care of us, Lord, you are our provider. You are our sustenance. You are everything, Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, Lord. And we just thank you so much because I trust in that. I trust in your word. I trust in you and I trust in your promises. And I know that they are sure. I know they are a guarantee, I don't doubt. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have always come through. Lord, you have never, ever, ever, ever let me down. And never let any of those down that really, truly trust in you too. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. We ask that you would speak loud and clear today, Lord, in this message and through my mouth and to everybody anywhere and everywhere, Lord. Just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and tell us what you want to tell us today. Just teach us how to get closer and nearer unto you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So my thoughts from last week's two messages. Normally I just have the one, but now this week I have to do just a small recap, but it's okay, it kind of all fits together. God gave me something that kind of fits both of them. My thoughts from last week's message Uh, Jesus proclaims himself Messiah and our special Christmas message. God reminds me of one huge thing as I thought about, you know, Christ proclaiming himself Messiah and then Christ, you know, always talked on Thursday more on Thursday evening about, you know, what Jesus did for us by coming in the form of a man, you know, coming in, in human flesh. And it reminds me of one big thing that we can never forget. What is it? It's not having this knowledge 
of Christ Jesus and what He's done for us and who He proclaimed Himself to be that benefits us. Just having this knowledge of these things about Jesus doesn't benefit you. It'd be no different than how much does it really benefit you to have a wisdom or knowledge of the moon, just to know it. Well, I know lots of useless and useless information both. Having that knowledge does not necessarily benefit you at all. The benefit and where the salvation comes in from God is in what, with what we do with the knowledge of Christ Jesus and who he really is and what he has done for us. What are we doing with that knowledge? Is it just useless knowledge or does that knowledge affect us? Does it have an impact on us? Remember, God spoke this to me years ago, and I've said this before from this very pulpit. I've said it before. It's this very interesting statement that really parallels with James 2. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. Very true statement. James 2, 14-17, God says through James, What does it profit, my brother, and if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Your wisdom, your knowledge, your faith in God is foolishness if you do not apply it, if it does not impact your life somehow, in some way, in a godly way. Your wisdom of Christ, if not applied in any way, is foolishness. Simple as that. What kind of actions, because of your faith, is God looking for from you? The Bible says that God requires repentance or a repentant lifestyle, or in other words, a daily self-denial of who you are, not considering yourself, not living for yourself, but living for God instead. You off the throne of your life, and Christ Jesus on the throne of your life. And the Bible says that God wants you to have faith. What is that? It's a complete in total and utter reliance on God and Christ, totally. Putting all your hope and trust in Him completely. Example, God will take care of everything in my life, and I trust that no matter what it looks like in the reality or in with my eyes. Faith like a little child, Jesus said. Unless you become, unless you be converted and become as a little child, he was talking about their faith. Unless you become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So faith like a little child. God will take care of everything. So total surrender, total faith in God completely. Without these actions, because of your faith in Christ, The Bible says your faith is useless or dead. So please examine your faith in Christ today and see if those things which I spoke about resemble you and characterize you. If not, and you see that you're not there, 
and you see that you know you don't totally rely on God, or your life is not lived for Him, and your ways are any way outside of God's ways, and you're your own Lord, then repent from this false faith. Repent from this dead faith and start loving God with your trust in Him, your total faith and your reliance on Him daily. And with your repentance or a repentant lifestyle, you turning to Christ now. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I can't live without you. I need more and more of you, more and more of your ways. I need more of your wisdom. I just, I need you. Start seeking Him daily and start surrendering to Him as the Lord over your life and not just another bit of wisdom and knowledge. Because wisdom, not applied, is foolishness. Just always remember that and don't lose sight of that. Because God could do everything for you, but you cannot respond. And it means absolutely nothing and there is no benefit for you in it at all. All right. Well, praise God. Let's move on to this week's message. We have a brand new message this week. Uh, The title of that message is, Jesus curses the fig tree, but why? Jesus curses the fig tree, but why? Our section of scripture today is Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22, and we'll actually be covering Almost the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 23. So if you want to get your Bible there, Matthew chapter 21 verses 18 through 22, 18 through 18 and 19, excuse me. And then let's read over our couple verses and then we'll get to chapter 23 later. The Bible says, Now in the morning as he, be Jesus, and his disciples returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing. On it, but leaves. And he said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Well, we left off with Jesus saying his peace to those that were angry with him over the praise he was receiving from the children and the wonderful works that he was doing. And he and his disciples leaving and going to Bethany. Remember, that was our last scene. Jesus goes into the temple, he, he declares himself God once again by telling the people that this is my house. The people come to him, they're angry at all these things that they saw him do and all these things that they heard him say and all these things that people were saying to him. And so he says his peace to them, shuts their mouths and moves on and goes to Bethany with his disciples. How far did he go to Bethany? Well, John eleven eighteen tells us that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles We open up our scene today with verse 18 telling us that now in the morning as he returned to the city. So this would be him and his disciples traveling another two miles back into Jerusalem. So they leave at first to go to to Bethany, two miles, and they come back to to Jerusalem from Bethany, another two miles. They like to walk in those days. Now in verse 18, he also tells us that Jesus after his long two-mile walk, was hungry, which makes sense. You know, after you exercise, you could be hungry. Jesus had just walked two miles with his disciples. He was probably hungry from that long walk. He probably woke up, just, you know, got together with his disciples and started walking and didn't eat breakfast where they were. 
So what did Jesus decide to do? Since he skipped breakfast in Bethany, he decides to go to Jerusalem. While he goes, he's hungry. What does he do? Does he stop at the local fast food uh, restaurant or drive through and pick up some uh, quick to-go food? No, not quite. Those didn't exist then. What did Jesus do? He stops at the local Jerusalem fast fig tree. Verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but the leaves. Did he get his fast food fig tree breakfast? Not quite. Unfortunately, 19 tells us that it had only leaves and it had no fruit. So Jesus was denied his breakfast. He was hungry, yet he was denied his morsel of food to eat in the morning. What does Jesus do? Verse 19, kind of harsh. He tells the tree, let no fruit on you ever grow again. And the result was, the fig tree gets cursed to the ground, withers away, and completely gets destroyed. Now, seems like kind of a harsh response from Jesus. And of course, this is a terrible outcome for the tree, especially when you consider Mark and his parallel gospel. Mark eleven thirteen tells us that it wasn't even the season for figs to be growing. It was early in the season. The figs hadn't started growing yet. So there lies in here a question. Why does Jesus get so angry with the tree and curse this fig tree, especially when there were no figs that were supposed to be growing in that season at that time? That's a good question. And of course, you know, the skeptics and those who don't believe in the Bible, they have to have their two cents. And of course, the skeptics have turned this on to be something evil towards Jesus. You know, you know, and they make fun. You know, some believe that this was not even an account, you know, just a ridiculous account that the disciples made up for, for some reasons. But, you know, it, I, I believe in the Bible, as I said before, as I prayed and as I've spoken earlier in the service, I believe in the Bible. So I believe that this, you know, story really happened and that this... You know, Jesus really cursed this fig tree. But the question is, why did Jesus get so angry with the fig tree, even though it, was, even though it wasn't even the season for figs? It's not usually something he would do. Jesus was very rational. He wasn't irrational. He was God. Jesus didn't overreact. Jesus always reacted the appropriate way in every circumstance. So why did Jesus get so angry with this fig tree? Well, He did get angry with the fig tree, but believe it or not, he had a good reason to to do this, even though it wasn't the supposed season for figs. How do we know? Well, God led me to this awesome website called apologeticspress.org, and they did their research, and they've done their historical work, and and they've done their details, and, and they've gotten their details, and they hit it right on the money. They Our problem is why we don't understand. Well, you know, a lot of people don't understand because they don't seek. A lot of people don't understand the Bible because they refuse to seek. They just read something over face value and say, oh, that's ridiculous. So that we just deem it ridiculous and it's ridiculous and Jesus, whatever this, that, and the other thing. And they say, what's a blasphemous thing is against God. But the reason that we didn't understand by just reading of the text is we didn't understand the historicity behind this section of scripture. But these people here at ApologeticsPress.org, they did. And they did seek and they did find the answer. And they taught me something this week that I didn't know. In their article, The Barren Fig Tree by Kyle Butt, M.A., 
Kyle is writing about the Mark 11, 12 through 14, and 20 through 21 account. Mark breaks up the accounts. Mark puts something else in the middle. But there, middle. There's a little bit of uh, you know difference between Mark's account and Matthew's account, but it's still the same account. Jesus still goes to the fig tree. He comes back in the morning. He looks for food. There's no food. He goes to eat. He gets frustrated or angry, and he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree withers. Then the disciples ask him. We'll cover that last week. It's the same account. Mark just splits it up a little differently. So his writing about the barren fig tree, the article, Kyle's article, will also suffice for Matthew chapter 21. So Kyle writes in his article about why Jesus got angry with the fig tree for not having any fig leaves. Or, excuse me, any figs. He says, When Jesus approached the fig tree, the text indicates that the tree had plenty of leaves. R.K. Harrison, writing an international standard Bible encyclopedia, tells that the, the, explains that various kinds of fig trees grew in Palestine during the first century. One very important aspect of fig growth has to do with the relationship between the leaf and the fruit. Harrison notes that the tiny figs known as, known to the Arabs as taksh, T-A-K-S-H, if I'm saying that wrong, please forgive me, but it's, I, I pronounce it Taksh, T-A-K-S-H, appears simultaneously in the leaf axles, 1982. This Taksh is edible and often gathered for sale in the markets. Furthermore, the text notes, when the young leaves are appearing in spring, every fertile fig will have some Taksh on it. But if a tree with leaves has no fruit, it will be barren for the entire season. So this tree showed these leaves, full set of leaves, full canopy of leaves. Yet it did not have this beginning fruit that will mean that the fig tree will have fruit later on in the season. But since it didn't, this tree would not even produce its figs even during the season. Thus, he goes on to say, when Jesus approached the leafy fig tree, he had every reason to suspect that something edible would be on it. However, after inspecting the tree, Mark records that he found nothing but leaves, so no tacks were budding as they should have been if the tree was going to produce edible figs that year. The tree appeared to be fruitful, but it only had outward signs of bearing fruit in its leaves. And in truth, offering nothing of value to weary travelers. So, we find that the reason Jesus was angry with the tree was because it had the appearance of having fruit, but it didn't. So, in reality... The tree was sick or unhealthy, but somehow able to keep some kind of good appearance. In reality, God had made this tree to produce fruit, figs, tash, but for and for people to eat. But the tree was not doing its job. The tree, in the state that it was in, was no different than a really nice-looking automobile on the outside. I mean, perfect, spotless condition. No dents, no scratches, polished up real nice. But when you got to get in, turn the key, it's dead. 
It doesn't even doesn't even start. Then you go to under the hood, and there's not even an engine. The tree and the car would be both considered deceivingly useless. They had an appearance of usefulness, but yet they were useless because they offer nothing to those that come to them. So because it is deceivingly useless, Jesus curses it and it withers away immediately. Wow. Well, I believe here that there is a little bit more that Jesus is really saying to us than just him coming and cursing this fig tree. I mean, Jesus wasn't against nature. Okay, He loved God's creation. It was his creation. He loved it. But I believe that Jesus is, there's an underlying deeper statement here that him cursing this fig tree and it withering away means at least just one. There's several applications that you can make when you start thinking about just the idea of something having the appearance of being good and fruitful, but yet not producing anything. And and you can make all kinds of parallels all throughout Scripture. You can make parallels to those that you know were gods, but di- didn't produce any fruit or didn't produce any any uh, talents. You know, God gave them some talents, and you can make all these applications and these across the board things, and, and it really does simultaneously look like a lot of them. But the reason I I kind of lean toward this interpretation I'm going to give you today, what the deeper meaning I think Jesus was making here today, is because of other things we read in Scripture along with the context of our scripture of this whole chapter of Matthew. So what is at least one of these deeper statements that Christ is making here in cursing this fig tree for having the appearance of being good, but really being sick and dead? Look to this chapter, whole chapter of verse 21, or chapter 21 that we just went through in Matthew. What do we have in the very beginning? We have Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt proclaiming himself Messiah. And what happened? The religious leaders complained about it and they stood against him. They didn't even give him a chance as they had already even seen all his other miracles that he'd done all throughout his ministry. Then Jesus comes into the temple of God, proclaiming it to be his house. So proclaiming himself Messiah again. And he drives out all those who practice unrighteousness and claimed it to be his house. The people come to him, you know, that are sick and need and in need of healing, and he heals them all, backing up his proclamation of being Messiah by giving physical proof of his claim to being Messiah. He put his money where his mouth was, like I talked about last week. He didn't just, excuse me, proclaim himself something and didn't back it up with proof. He did that, but even though he did that. Even though he backed up his claim of being God in the flesh, even though he backed up his claim of being Messiah, the religious leaders see all those giving him praise and see all the wonderful works that he did, so they recognize he's doing wonderful works. The people are giving him praise. So instead of admitting they were wrong and having a change of heart towards Christ and who he really was, demonstrating repentance a change of mind, hey, he's shown us that we're wrong, so instead of keeping on bucking the system, we're going to turn. We're going to turn, we're going to believe in him, we're going to put our faith in him, (coughs) excuse me, 
And you know what? We're going to honor him and and worship him as Messiah. (coughs) Instead of doing that, (coughs) excuse me, they get angry with him. And again, they fight against him. And now he comes back from his rest in Bethany and he curses this fig tree for having this deception. It looked like it was useful, but yet it was useless. Tree looked good from afar, but was useless and sick inside after closer examination. I believe Jesus is making a living example of this tree the way John the Baptist did with certain people in Matthew 3, 7 through 10 when he was holding a baptism of repentance. And he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees when they come, he says, when he saw them coming to the baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Notice John is saying bear fruits Worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. What were they saying? Hey, we're righteous because we're from the lineage of Abraham. We're righteous because we're Jewish. We have, we, we, we're making this out to see we have this beautiful image on the outside. But unfortunately, they were wicked. And they were evil, and they didn't follow God at all. He says, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, or you could say every tree which doesn't bear any fruit at all, is cut down and thrown into the fire. What did Jesus just do to this fig tree? who had the image of looking really good and, and, and full and, and fruitful, but yet had nothing. He cursed it, and it withered to the ground. The religious leaders were famous for looking good on the outside or by their appearance, as we'll see in Matthew chapter 23 here in a little bit, but really being sick, on the inside, and really being evil in their intentions and in the things that they really, that they did. This account of the fig tree has Matthew 23 written all over it. If you want to go to Matthew 23, you can. Otherwise, I'm going to go there. You can either read along with me or you can just listen to me, whichever you'd like. But as I read, I want you to focus on these certain things. I'm going to tell you these things I want you to be listening for. As I read, listen to the way Jesus describes the sick or really unholy religious leaders. Then listen to how they tried to look on the outside. And then listen to what the results of their ways will get them. So Matthew 23, verse 1, Jesus says this. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and said to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they're the ones giving the law. They're the ones telling people what to do. Saying, okay, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, verse 3, whatever they tell you to observe, observe, that observe and do. So the, the, the interpretations, the ways that they tell you to follow God, follow those ways. Do the things that they tell you to do. That's a good thing. But do not, ad- do not do according to their works, 
for they say and do not do. They're hypocrites. They said, here's God's word, follow it, but don't do as they do because they don't follow it themselves. Interesting. So they look good and they speak real good, but they don't do and they don't produce the things that they told you to do. Verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their little fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Why? They're doing some things outwardly to make themselves look good. Some things. They're doing these things in the outward to make people think that they're a full-looking fig tree with lots of good fruit on it. But they're not. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. This is something that the really religious Jews would do. They made their hair grow really long and they put these little, put these little like papers down their, down their waist with all the different writings of the Bible on it. And so they, they outwardly, they looked like a holy person. They dressed themselves up in garbs and make themselves, made themselves look really, really holy. Look at verse 6. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues. They sat in the most, the best choices place where, you know, where, where the highly regarded people sat, where the people of great honor sat. That's where they sat. They love greetings in the market. Okay, they love the best places and feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called men or be called by men rabbi, rabbi. So they loved it when, when people looked at their outward appearance and, and said nice things and, oh, you're so holy. Oh, you're so religious. Oh, rabbi, rabbi. The term of respect meant teacher. Oh, teacher, teacher, teach us. It's a, it's a sign of respect. Verse 8. But you. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. Rabbi means teacher. The Christ, and you are all brethren. So he, he, Jesus is telling us there, don't call anybody rabbi or teacher, because you know what? Christ is your teacher. Man, you're all equal. Man, you're all even. You're all equal. There's nobody higher, and there's nobody lower. In God's eyes, you're all equal. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he, uh, he who is in heaven. A father is in respect, not in a, a father is in your dad. A father is in like somebody that claims to be holy. Don't call anybody your holy father because there's only one holy ultimate father and that's God. Jesus kind of giving his, the multitudes the, the wisdom behind what these guys are doing and how to escape it there. Verse 10, and do not be called teachers for one is your teacher, the Christ, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. We've covered that already before. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But he goes into now, now we really get a picture of these holy-looking, religious-looking Pharisees and religious leaders on the outside, but we see their wickedness in verse 13. This is where Jesus starts the, the woe to you. Verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, 
and for the pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So they were taking advantage of people financially, and then for pretense, that means just for show. When they got together, they would stand and they'd make these long prayers. Oh, 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 Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord God. Oh, 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 Lord. And then they would go on and on and on. And, you know, with all these fancy words. And, and the people would be go, oh, man, wow. Wow, they know the Bible. Wow, look at how holy they are. Whoa. This is what they, the image that they gave to people. But notice Jesus just said it was a pretense which meant it didn't really, wasn't coming from their heart. They only did it to look good before the people. Kind of like the fig tree just looked good, but had no real fruit to it. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, to win one person to your faith. And, w- and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves. Wow. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies that gold? They held more honor in your gift in the gold of the temple than the actual temple itself. The temple was God's temple. The temple was God's holy place, not the, not the gifts and the tithes and the gold that it was made with or that were given to it all the time. And yet they put more of an emphasis on the gold and the gift than they did on the temple. He says 18, and whoever swears by the altar does nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Wow. So they were putting more of an emphasis on the gift that was on the altar than God's temple in and of itself. What, was, what is it? To me, I see what was most important to them was money. And the Bible says that money is the root to many evils. The love of money, excuse me, is the root to many evils. And so here, they were concerned with money. That's a heart condition. You love God first and allow God to bring the rest. Don't love the things and then say, oh God, boy, that's a whole nother sermon. Verse 19, let's get back. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift and the altar, or that, that, or that that sanctifies the gift? Verse 20, therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it, and by all the things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears in heaven, or by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So you tithed real good. You gave God a lot of your stuff. Yet, you neglected faith. You neglected mercy. You had no mercy on people. You were harsh. You were accusatory you attacked people but you had no and you had no faith but your boy you sure gave a lot of tithe you sure gave a god a lot of your stuff you didn't even they neglected mercy faith the law and jesus said you should have kept everything 
You should have followed God's law and you should have been generous towards God. You should have had a lot of faith and you should have had, you know, kept in, in, in tithe. He calls them, verse 24, he says, blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self indulgence. You make your outside look so good. You make your outside look so holy. Yet inside, you're evil. Inside, you're sick. Full of extortion. Full of self-indulgence. Verse 26, blind Pharisees. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So Jesus just told us what to do too and them too. Come to have a circumcised heart. Come to a true change of heart toward who God is and who Christ is. And then on the outward, that'll all come to be. But therein lies the whole battle of, you know, law and keeping the commandments versus faith and grace. You see, somebody that's working for their salvation is working for their salvation. It's all outward. I can work for it. I can do all these law, keep all this law and keep all these commandments and look like these things and, and I can show God I love him because I'm just going to do all these things. But Jesus here gave us the crux. He said, no, you can work and make yourself look really good, but get your inside cleaned up first. If you come to repentance... Have a change of heart toward God. Have an inwardly, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. I, I need you. And then, and then get your inside changed first. Become holy on the inside in your heart. Let God change your heart. And then the outside will just follow afterwards. That's kind of like salvation. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And here's where we really see the picture of the fig tree like really see the picture of the fig tree. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Just like the fig tree. The fig tree had the beautiful appearance of man. Any weary traveler can go to that tree and Get good fruit. But then when you got up to it, you found, wow, there's no fruit. In fact, wow, and you realize this tree's unhealthy because a healthy tree, uh, you know, a tree that's not sick will have fruit. The Pharisees were a lot like this fig tree. Verse 28, Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the, mon and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. And whether you know it or not, and this is something that's an Old Testament thing, but a lot of the children of Israel that lived back in the Old Testament under, under all the prophets and under all the kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles, when the real prophets of God came to them, the ones that were really trying to lead them to a real relationship with God, the people didn't like it, and the people end up either stoning them or 
or casting them away or didn't respect them or didn't have any didn't have any patience for them and a lot of those prophets died by the hands of the people because the people loved them and the and the prophets were trying or excuse me because the prophets loved them and the prophets were trying to lead the people back to God the people didn't want it and they wanted to live their own way and so they murdered the prophets and Jesus just said here that these scribes and Pharisees they're like oh oh if we would have lived back then we wouldn't have done the things that our forefathers did we oh we would have treated the prophets with respect and (laughs) he says therefore in verse 31 therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets don't you realize when you say that and you realize your dads were wrong you're their children and he was making he was making a a jump over there to look what you're doing to me look what you're doing to me look how you treat me And you're the son of these murderers. And look at me, you're treating me the same way. Verse 32, Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I say to you, I I send you prophets. Now he puts himself in God's spot again here. In verse 34, Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets. He speaks of himself as that he is sending them prophets. Only God can send prophets. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. How sad is that? We see here, I believe anyway, that this scripture that we just read in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, is Jesus literally giving us a picture of what's going to happen and what is happening and the type of picture of the religious leaders of his day that were like this fig tree. I I completely believe that there's a parallel here. I believe also that there's more parallels that you can make. That a good tree should bear good fruit. And if not, it's a bad tree. It's going to bear bad fruit or, or no fruit at all. So, I mean, there's multiple parallels that you can make here. I believe just by the context, this was one of them. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean for us? We look at this picture of this fig tree and we looked at the pictures of of the pharisees and the sadducees and how they acted and how evil and how wicked that they really were yet an outward picture that they had of, of you know was all looking holy and all looking you know great and wonderful well the religious leaders faith in god had no form of repentance or real trust their faith in god produced no godly fruit. They kept a really good look on the on the outside, just like the fig tree did, but inwardly there was no nothing good. And then and then they did not produce any lasting or any useful fruit. All their fruit was useless or they had no fruit at all. The end result for those people that were acting like this, the end result to this fig tree. The fig tree got withered away. Jesus cursed it. It got withered away. It died. The end result of the Pharisees and Sadducees, 
Matthew 23, 15, what did Jesus say? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, to win one person to your religion. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves are. So what did he say? The Pharisees and Sadducees, or you could say anybody that has this type of appearance or is like this even to our day now, we're going to become children of hell. Now, that's I'm going to allude into that. I, I alluded into that. I'm going to close with this. It's really sad that this is the way it is, and there's a lot of people like that today. We need to be careful that when we look at scriptures like this, and when we look at Matthew chapter 23 scriptures, that we don't just get caught up looking or examining just this one class or type of person in scripture. It's real easy to look at Scripture and say, oh, wow, oh, look at those people. Wow, oh, look at how bad, look at how evil they were. Oh, they, they didn't produce any fruit, or oh, they had no fruit at all, or oh, they, they had the evil fruit. Oh, man, look at those people in Scripture. And not look at ourselves and examine ourselves in our own fruit, or if we have any fruit at all. This is a dangerous thing to do. Because just looking at Scripture, it's easy to point to others. But it's harder to look at ourselves. I want us to look at ourselves today. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says, Scripture, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 1-11, he says, Moreover, brethren, and I'll make a point here when I'm done reading this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, speaking about the exodus from Egypt, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So no matter how much God did for these people, back in the Exodus time, and back through the 40 years of the wilderness, that they walked through and lived through with God covering them and protecting them, most of their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What is Paul telling us? Look at what he says. Same thing I'm talking about today. Now these things become our examples to the intent that we should not look, look, af, look after. Excuse me. I'm not that great of a reader in case you haven't figured that out all these years. Um, now these things have become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rot and rose up to play. Now let now let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in the day and in one day twenty three thousand of them fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth have come. Our warnings in Scripture today. What Jesus did to the fig tree. The whole idea of looking holy and righteous on the outside, but really not having a true converted, changed heart on the inside. These things we can look at, and we can just look at them. We can just say, oh, wow, well, that's terrible for them. But we, can't, we, don't, but we don't necessarily have to make application to ourselves, but we'd be wrong. We need to look at these things in Scripture and apply them to ourselves. Where am I in that? I don't want to just look at those people and go, oh, wow, whoa, man, terrible. 
Look at yourselves and examine yourselves in the light of Scripture. If Christ acted this way towards these people that were outwardly righteous, but not really, and if he acted this way toward this fig tree who was outwardly looking pleasant, but really didn't have any fruit and sick inside, then we need to make sure in ourselves, for ourselves today, see these things and look at them as warnings that God is giving to us. We need to make sure that these are not us. Because if they are, and we read them all over, but they're really us, the same condemnation that fell on the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the same condemnation that fell on that tree is going to fall on us. And we need to make sure that we allow the Scripture to teach us how not to be, so that we don't face the same things that those people faced. So I ask you today, Will you examine yourselves in light of all that we heard? In light of how Jesus acted toward that fig tree and it didn't have any good fruit or didn't have any fruit at all? Will you examine yourselves in the light of what Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees? Where the outward appearance was holy and righteous, but yet inwardly they were really ravenous wolves. Does the faith you believe you have in God produce real repentance and reliance on God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. Does your life, the way you really live, because you know the way you live, every one of us and everyone that's listening knows the way you live, really portray Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you really live a repentant lifestyle? Have you really come to repentance? Have you really come to the point where you realize that you were wrong and that God is right and that you need to now, that's it. I, I, I don't, I'm wrong. God's right. I, I need to be saved. I need Christ. God, I need you. Have you ever come to that point and are you continuing on that point of surrender to him daily? God's ways in your life and not your ways. Maybe they're a struggle. That's a good thing. But who's winning? Is God winning the struggle in your life? Are you really surrendering Him to Him in your heart? From your heart? And then is it really relating out into the actions that you live in your life? Is the result of your surrendering to God, is the result of your submission to His authority in your life, are the results humility, love, Sacrifice, service, holiness. Because if God is really the one leading you, you're going to follow His example. You're not going to follow your own way in life and path anymore. If you've surrendered to Him as your King, that means He gives the, he gives the, the orders and you follow them. Not... I make my own way in life. I make my own rules and I live by my own rules. And yes, I have a belief in God. There's two paths. And and we can really look really holy and righteous and good on the outside, but still really be living our own way and doing our own things in secret times when people don't see us. On our own, when we're not in the public eye. We can really be living two different lifestyles. And only you know where you're at. Do you really, have you been converted to become as a little child? 
Do you really put all your rest and trust in God and in Christ Jesus to save you and for everything else in your life, period, the end? No matter what you're going through, the Bible says that God wants your faith. God wants you to put all your trust in Him. And as the result of that in your life, no worry. Stress-free. Hey, God's got this. Not that that won't be a struggle sometimes, but who wins? Is God winning? Are you allowing yourself? Are you trusting in Him? Are you forcing yourself to trust Him? Because like Peter, Lord, you have the words to eternal life. Where else could we go? Are you really trusting in Him? Do you really have biblical faith? Are you resting in Him? Are you relaxing in Him? No matter what happens, the storms may be rising and, 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 and all literal hell may be breaking loose in your life. But do you trust that God will get you through it? Because real repentance and real faith will produce real things that come out of your life even when nobody's looking. And God will be the one to lead you and not yourself anymore if you have really repented and turned to Him and given Him your life, and if you are really trusting in Him, these are real fruits that will be produced from your life. And only you know where you're at with God. So I ask you today, please, have you taken these steps? Are you going to allow the warnings that we looked at with the fig tree today, the warnings to Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 against these these types of people. Are you just going to look at them or will you look at yourself? And if you see, well, I'm, I'm not, wow, I'm, whoa, I never looked at it like that before. I, I am like that. I'm, I'm not really changed. Second Corinthians 5.17, Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is your life new? Are you trusting in God with everything? Are you repentant? He's my Lord. I follow him. I don't follow me and live for me anymore. I follow him. I do the things that he say that he says to do. Or are you not? I really hope you will examine who you are in Christ or if you're even in Christ and allow the Bible to warn you. And if you're not, God doesn't want that for you. But the Bible says that if that's not you, if you've not repented, if you've not put your trust in God, then you will be going to hell because you're rejecting His authority in your life. You may look healthy and have a healthy appearance to others, but it's just not the way you really are. And if you're not there, God's offering you life right now. God says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is light, my yoke is light, my burden is easy. So would you come to him today if you're not there? And would you surrender? God, I'm a sinner. I don't know what else. I, I, I thought I was right, but I'm not. I, I still live. I never, there's no change. I mean, I believe in you, Lord, but, but I don't live for you. I've not changed. You're not my Lord. I've never surrendered to you. In fact, I don't, I don't even trust anybody, not especially you. Will you come and take a step of repentance? That's where it starts. Change your mind towards God. That's what repentance is. Change your mind. I realize I'm wrong. Wow, I don't want to be wrong. I want to 
God, I want you to be my Lord. You're right. I'm wrong. I need you. Save me, Lord. I'm sorry that I'm on this path. Please, Lord, help me. I want to be yours. God, save me. Jesus, I need you. Save me, Lord. Change me, Lord. I want to trust in you. I want to hope in you. Please, Lord, I'm I'm turning it over all to you right now. Words like that are the words that God's been waiting to hear from you for a long time. Words like that are the words that God longs to hear from people. There are words where like you're in your castle and you've got your doors all shut and nobody can get in because you won't let anybody in and what happens is you raise the white flag and you unlatch the lock on the doors and you push open the doors from the inside and allow God who's on the outside to come in. Would you allow God to come in today? Turn to Him. Surrender to Him. Repent of your sins. Change your mind and surrender. Jesus said, those who desire to follow me must deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow after me. Deny self, first step, surrender. Putting God on the throne of your life and putting you second. You're not in control. God's in control now. If if you're not there, I'll pray for you that you would be. But God loves all of you. And and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And and I hope that you allow the Bible to to warn you if if you're not there, if you're not right. Lord, King of heaven and earth, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for just the admonition that this scripture can give us, Lord. The warning, Lord, if, if we're holy or righteous looking on the outside, but is our faith, our leaves, Lord, do we really have tax? Lord, that's real fruit. Do we really have real good, healthy figs that are growing from us, Lord? Or are we really barren? Do we really, or do we have bad fruit? Is the sickness within us, is it leading to our outward lives of just our own control, ourselves in control, not acknowledging you in our lives, not turning to you, not surrendering to you, not trusting in you? Lord, I I pray for anyone out there that's in this position right now. And I pray, dear God, that you would turn them to you. I pray, dear God, that you would help them to see that they are wrong. And Lord, that your word is your word. And Lord, those that produce bad fruit and or those that don't produce any fruit at all for your kingdom, if their faith, so-called faith in you, has no repentance, real repentance, has no real trust in you, then Lord, they're not saved and they're on their way to hell. So I pray, dear God, that you would turn them to you now, Lord. Help them, Lord. Motivate them, Lord. Turn them to you now. Bring them to repentance, Lord. Bring them to a true relationship with you, Lord. Not just an outward work of holiness where I'm working and I'm holy, I'm holy and working unto God. No, an inward converted heart to become like a little child, inwardly repenting, realizing you're wrong, surrendering to you as their Lord, serving you and not themselves anymore. Please bring them to that place. Especially the young man I had a discussion with on Friday night. Thank you, dear God. I love you, dear God. We praise you, dear God. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name, Lord. Save them all. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because 
Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.